Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association JOMA podcast. My name is Elisa Minkin. I'm a pediatrician and proud member of JOMA, and I'm really excited to be here today with Espy Rose. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this with me. Esty Rose is a certified genetic counselor and outreach counselor for JSCREEN, which is a national nonprofit Jewish genetic disease screening program based out of Emory University School of Medicine. Esty graduated from Yeshiva University Stern College for Women and then went on to complete her master's in genetic counseling from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She has a special interest in community education and outreach and is proud to be a resource for individuals of her own community who are facing genetic health issues. So this is a really important and timely topic. And when I say timely, it's because JSCREEN has recently expanded to a wider range of screening. So we're going to talk today both about the reproductive carrier screening and also about the newer cancer screening. So thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm gonna just let you first start talking about what is genetic counseling? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people don't know what genetic counseling is. Um, when I go to local high schools and I ask people to raise their hands if they've heard of a genetic counselor, I usually get maybe one. And I think it's usually the girl who feels bad for me that nobody else was raising their hand. Um, but genetic counseling has become much more popular um, in the last couple of years, especially in the Orthodox world. Um, I know a lot of students who went to Turo and Stern and Queens College who've kind of reached out to me because they've heard about genetic counseling, but they're not quite sure what it is. So I'm happy to talk about it. Um, basically, a genetic counselor is somebody who has a master's degree in genetic counseling. It's a two years master's program. And during this program, you're trained to learn about medical genetics and also about the different tools and concepts related to counseling people. So it's kind of like a combination between the emotional psychosocial aspects of having a genetic diagnosis while also teaching people about what this diagnosis means for them and their family. Um, so genetic counselors are found in many different practices in the medical area. So we're found in the prenatal practices and pediatric practices and cancer genetics genetics. We're kind of all over the place because genetics is all over the place, right? Basically, we're learning over the last couple of years that most diseases are related to genetics. So there's going to be a place for a genetic counselor and many different areas of practice. Um, so I highly recommend that any woman or young girl thinking about something in the medical field, consider the field of genetic counseling because I think it's a, a great career. And I'm happy for anybody to reach out to me privately if they'd like to discuss it. How would they reach you? Um, I'll give you my email address. Um, do you want it now or later? Sure, you can reach out to me at esther.rose at emory, E-M-O-R-Y dot E-D-U. Again, esther.rose at emory dot E-D-U. Um, I'm happy to speak to anybody about the field. Yeah. Esther, E-S-T-H-E-R. Yes, yes, E-S-T-H-E-R-O-S-E <laughs> at emory dot E-D-U. Right, we should mention it at the end too. Yeah. So what is J-Screen? J-Screen so, specific program. Yeah, so JScreen is a specific program where we do carrier testing and also cancer testing. So those are two different options within JScreen um, to test people for different kinds of genes. So our uh, 
Progen test panel consists of over 200 conditions where we're looking to see if people are carriers for those conditions. Carriers generally don't have any symptoms of the conditions that they carry, so they have no idea that they're carriers. However, if a guy and a girl are both carriers for the same condition, Every time they have a child together, there's a chance for their children to actually be affected with that condition. So you've probably heard of Tay-Sachs disease, maybe cystic fibrosis. Those are all recessive conditions which are inherited in this pattern. So we're testing people to see whether or not they're carriers. And if they are carriers, then we would recommend that their partners get tested to see um, you know, whether they're considered a carrier or high-risk couple. You know, let's back to just a little bit to make it crystal clear that there are different kinds of genetic disorders, some of which are related to a single gene, right? And sometimes it could be that you have one dose and it gives you the disease and those are called autosomal dominant. When you say carrier, you're talking about autosomal recessive disorders where you need one gene from each parent. There are many other kinds of disorders, right? There are some that affect a male, you only have on one X and it affects the male, but not the female or milder in the female, um, for example, um, Anyway, so there, there are many, different. I think you're thinking of fragile X disease. I was thinking of fragile X, but it's so, fragile X is so complicated. Yeah. Um, and that's included in the testing or is that? Yeah. So, yeah. So most of the conditions that we're testing for are for recessive diseases. So to test healthy carriers uh, to see if they're part of an at-risk couple, but we're also testing females um, and males too for X-linked diseases, which are conditions that could be passed down from a female carrier to her son. We're testing for about 15 or so of those. So all of the conditions on this panel are all really done, uh, are all being tested for, for reproductive purposes, not for personal health things, right? We're not really um, diagnosing people with genetic diseases themselves. We're talking about the next generation to see if they have a chance to pass down something to their children. Um, which is very different than our cancer gen um, testing panel. It's completely separate, totally different test order. Our cancer gen panel tests for over 60 different cancer predisposition genes. So you might have heard of BRCA, for example, BRCA. That's one of the 63 genes that we're testing for. Um, if somebody has a mutation in any of these cancer predisposition genes, they themselves are at risk to develop certain cancers. So that's more of like a personal health kind of genetics. And if somebody has a mutation in one gene, they themselves could be symptomatic. So unlike Tay-Sachs and the stuff in the ReproGen carrier um, panel where Care, where if somebody's positive, they don't have the disease themselves. For the cancer genetics, that's a dominant condition. And if somebody has um, a mutation, then they themselves are at risk to develop the condition. So two totally separate tests, two totally different kinds of genetics, but there is definitely a need um, and interest in our community for both types of tests. Right, so let's go back to the reproductive um, screening. Who would go for that? So we recommend that anybody who's planning on having children go for that. Um, I know that's a very broad statement because mm -hmm. When do you do it? Who should be doing it? What, what, where should we be doing it? That it's, there's a lot of different nuances in that statement, but we think that anybody who's planning to have a child in the future should get tested. For some people that could be while they're in the middle of their shidduch dating or even before the shidduch dating scene. For some people, they wait until they get engaged. For some people, they're already married and then they get tested. And then there's also people who have been tested in the past who need to get retested because new and updated testing has become available. So even if somebody has been tested a couple years ago, or even if they already have a child or two who are healthy, but they're planning for another pregnancy, they also need to get tested. So basically anyone planning to have a child needs to get tested. So has J-Screen changed their panel? When, when did J-Screen start? 
Yeah, so JScreen started about six years ago. Um, and within the last six years, we're already on our third iteration of our panel. So we started out with about 20 diseases, then we got to 80, 100, now we're at over 200. And these things change, you know? So we always tell all of our patients after we counsel them that it's a good idea to check in with us anytime they're planning for a pregnancy because we might update our testing. And at that point, they're gonna be up, you know, out of date and they're gonna need more updated testing. So every couple of years, I would say we update our panel. How do you decide which diseases to put in? So in the beginning, um, we were still learning a lot. So as more diseases were being discovered to be commonly found in Ashkenazi Jews, we started adding those. There's also other criteria like how serious is the disease? Um, is there testing that could be done or um, artificial um, things that could be done to help people get pregnant to avoid having a baby with those conditions? So if those things are not available to people, we don't want to say, um, I'm sorry, you have a high risk. There's nothing you could do about it. Those kind of conditions we're not going to be testing for. We're only going to be testing for things where people can intervene um, if they know that they're positive. So the common things, the things that are serious, the things that there's something you could do about it. Um, a lot of times we'll have families reach out to us and say, listen, we have this condition in our family. I see it's not on your testing panel. It seems to be somewhat common. Maybe you should consider adding it. And we keep a running list and we bring it up with the lab that we use. And very often they, they actually will add it on. So there is many different reasons why we might decide to add on new diseases. Mm -hmm. How is this different from Doria Sharim? So Doria Sharim is kind of like the original um, testing program in the Jewish community. Um, they started in the 80s um, by a couple named the Eckstein's who lived or still live um, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And the reason they started this program is because they themselves had a couple of children who passed away from Tay-Sachs disease. Um, Tay-Sachs disease is a neurological disease. If a baby has it, they're born healthy, everything's fine. But after a couple of months, the parents start to notice that there are neurological delays. Um, they can become blind, they can have seizures. Unfortunately, all babies who have Tay-Sachs pass away within the first four or so years of life. And child after child had died because of Tay-Sachs. And they said, this can't happen in our community. This is terrible. We have to do something about it. But they also knew that within their community, in the Satmar community, um, there's a lot um, of stigma related to genetic diseases. And they knew that if they would go out and tell people, you need to get tested for this and tell people if you're positive, then the community wouldn't go for that, right? They don't want to tell people information about their health and they were scared that it would affect their marriageability. So they came up with this really good uh, solution, which is the Doria Sharon program, where people would get tested for themselves, but they would not get the results. Instead, their results would go straight to the Dory Sharm database. And anytime a guy and a girl were planning on going on a first date, they would both call the Dory Sharm hotline, giving them their ID number, because again, they didn't have the results. And Dory Sharm would tell them whether or not they're a match, whether or not they're a carrier couple. If they were not a carrier couple, they were told, go on a first date, have a good time, good luck. But if they were a carrier couple, they were told to not even bother and to, to not go on the date. At that time, things were very different than they are now, because at that time, there weren't many options for carrier couples like there are today, which we can go through soon. Um, so the best advice they can give them was don't even bother, you know, don't get started with this, don't fall in love and start a relationship with somebody who's also going to be a carrier. Um, and over the course of years, when we learned more about more genetic diseases, they added other diseases to their testing panel. So now it's not just Tay-Sachs, um, but they still today have the exact same model where people don't get the results and are only told whether or not they're a match. Um, test for how many diseases? Um, I don't know the exact number. I think about 20 or so. Yeah, and they have some optional testing as well. I can't imagine it's 200. 
Yeah, it's very different than JScreen. So JScreen has a similar model in that we want to prevent Jewish genetic diseases from happening, but we have a different process. So in our process, people get tested. Um, we use saliva samples. So people register for a kit online. We send them a saliva kit and they spit into the tube, send it back to the lab. Within three or four weeks, the results are ready and a genetic counselor reviews the results with them. So A, you see the difference here is that they're getting the results. And as you said, we're also testing for many, many more conditions than Dory Sharon is testing for. Um, so there are, I, you know, I personally think there are pros and cons to both ways of doing the testing, but from a clinical standpoint, I, I think that Dory Sharam's testing is too limited. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing, you know, families who have babies with conditions that they were told it's going to be okay because you checked out with Dory Sharam, but it's just because they weren't tested for those conditions. So there are multiple common conditions that they're just not testing for and carrier couples are being missed because of that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing those at JScreen, right? We're, we're right. seeing those families who come and say, uh-oh, you know, there was an issue with, with um, Dory Sharon because we were under tested. Um, so I think they're great. And I, I do give them, um, you know, so many accolades for what they've done for the community. They put genetic testing on the map and they, they made it an okay, normal thing to do. And I very much appreciate that, that they did that. I just wish they could keep up with the times a little bit more and, and test for more conditions. And if they do, I'm cool with them. That's fine. The problem is that stigma is a real thing. Stigma is yeah. a real thing, especially in certain communities. And it would be way better to have people do a program like this and, you know, not know and get married, and an option would be to get tested again after. So if you went through Doria Sharim, you could go through JScreen or another testing program after marriage and then deal with the results rather. That's certainly a solution. And we have a lot of people who do that. So people will tell us that they got, to, many of our patients will tell us that they've already gotten tested through Doria Sharim, but, but because that's the thing to do in the community, you mm -hmm. know, they want people, the shopkin says, what's your Doria Sharim number? And they want to have an answer to that, but then they realize, or they learn that there's more comprehensive testing available and they want to get that done. So very often we'll have patients like that. Um, yeah, I think they're wonderful. I, I think that they do really good things. I just, you know, would say from a clinical standpoint yeah. that it's better right. to get tested for more conditions. Right. Or what you could do is go through Doria Sharon if that's normal in your community and at the same time on your own, do J-Screen. Yeah, sure. and a lot of people do that. But Doria Sharon, they actually have a clause on their consent form where they ask you, um, where they tell you or ask you whether you've been tested anywhere else. And if you tell them that you've been tested somewhere else, they will not test you. Yeah, but what if you went to Doria Sharon first? So that's what people are doing. They're going to them first and then coming to us. And we have no problem. We don't care if they were tested by Dory Sharon. But yeah, it's very interesting. Somebody actually once called me with a halachic shayla about this. And she said, listen, I checked this thing off when I was in high school four years ago. I didn't know what I was checking off. And now I know about JScreen and I want to do JScreen. And I feel really bad and I feel like I'm lying, you know, and she, she didn't know what to do. But I told her to ask her rabbi because that's not what I do. I do other kinds of counseling. But um, yeah, they're pretty strict about it. And they don't call themselves a genetic testing program like we do. They actually consider themselves a matchmaking program. So they try to make matches. They don't want to break people up. They're not in the business of breaking people up. They don't want to. They try to avoid it. And one way to avoid that is to test for fewer things, right? Because you're going to find fewer carrier couples if you're testing for fewer things. So um, I'm not sure if they ever are going to change their tune. I, I don't know. I'm very okay with the anonymous testing. I understand that some people don't want to know their information. That I can handle. It's just the the sheer number of diseases that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. Okay. How does it compare to um, the direct to consumer testing? Because now you know there's so much genetic testing. Um, 23andMe comes to mind. Yeah, 23andMe, you might be, have even seen it in Target. I was there last week and they had a whole a whole stand. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, but also a little bit scary. So 23andMe is a really interesting company. Um, I like to call it recreational genetics. 
Mm -hmm. So they have different options for testing, but their basic package is that they're testing people for ancestry. So they'll tell you what percentage Ashkenazi you are, what percentage Eskimo you are, whatever it is. They'll tell you your ancestry. That's one part. Another part is they do recreational genetics where they tell you, are you more likely to flush after drinking alcohol? Um, are you a righty or a lefty? Do you have a widow's peak? You know, things that you probably already know the answers to, um, but they're able to tell you whether or not genetically that makes sense. And then the third part of their testing is they actually do some health-related testing. Um, they test for about 40 different genetic diseases, these recessive diseases, to see if people are carriers. So you'll see the common ones like Tay-Sachs and cystic fibrosis on there. Um, but they're only testing for about 40. They're not testing for over 200. And they're also using a technology that's a little bit I'll call it old school for these conditions. So every now and then we'll actually have patients who come in and they tell us that they've been tested by 23andMe for these 40 conditions and they were negative. And then when they get retested for those conditions with JScreen, they're actually positive. Mm -hmm. And that's because we're using you know, a more accurate um, technology in the lab than they're using at 23andMe. So I think that they're cute and it's fun to know your ancestry and it's fun to know if you like cilantro or not, you know, the kind of things that they tell you, I'm okay with that. That's, you know, fun and that's okay. But the, the, the danger is when people do the health related stuff also, and they take that at face value, like this is, this is it. I did my genetic testing. I'm good to go. Similar to Dory Sharam, right? But we know that they're not testing for enough and they're also not using the best technology out there. So I would not recommend that people use 23andMe for health related things. And if they want to use it for other things, go right ahead. Um, but it should not replace clinical testing like we do at JScreen or like your doctor's office. Right. right. And an important thing to emphasize about JScreen is you also have a genetic counsel because the problem with getting information is what do you do with it? How do you understand it? And what do you do with it? You yeah. Know, if 23andMe, there's a book. I don't know if you read the book, Inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. That was scary, right? <laughs> Crazy. She found out that she had different inheritance than her Ashkenazic inheritance and then found out Right. Her father was not her father, right? It's really crazy what you could learn now. It's it's totally like cuckoo what comes out with these things. Um, there's tons of books just like Inheritance, which I would recommend by Danny Shapiro. It's a great book. Um, but yeah, so for the ancestry stuff, because that's a hate go. It's fun, you know. But for the health related things, I would definitely um, tell people to do that with caution and to tell them that's not enough. They also actually do BRCA testing, the breast cancer gene, um, but they're also under testing for that. And they're also not requiring genetic counseling, which is a little bit scary to me um, because people either miss those results or they misinterpret them or they don't tell them to their doctor and they're not acting on it like they should be um, because there's no medical oversight involved in it. Right, right, right. Now, do you test just for Ashkenazic related disorders? No more. We used to. So um, at the beginning of JScreen, when we were just learning about population genetics, we only tested for Ashkenazi diseases. But especially with this new ancestry coming out, ancestry testing coming out, and people learning a lot more than they already knew about their ancestry, we realized that it's not good enough to test people just based on the ancestry that they report to us. Because either they don't really know their ancestry, or and they think they do, or they really don't know it, or they're adopted, or they're converts in the family, or there's mixed ancestry with Ashkenazi and Sephardi, or whatever it is, we realize that testing for Ashkenazi diseases alone is just not going to cut it. It's not enough. We're missing carriers. So over the course of years, when we've expanded our panels, we started doing these more like universal panels, kind of like a one size fits all, where many of the conditions are more common in people who are Ashkenazi, but many of them are also what we call pan-ethnic, which just means that they're common amongst all people. And there are conditions on our panel that are more common amongst Hispanics and Asians and, and Sephardi Jews or whatever it is, because we don't want to miss carriers. So now we're just doing, you know, we're casting a wider net um, and just testing people for the common things that are not necessarily Ashkenazi.
but there is a big emphasis on Ashkenazi diseases on our panel. Do you look differently if someone says I'm Sephardi? Do you have special Sephardi panels? Not anymore because we test everybody for the same thing. Back yeah. in the day, we used to. Yeah, we used to say, oh, you're Sephardi. We got to add on this and that. But now everybody's just tested for everything. It's all on one assay. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because the one time I saw Tay-Sachs was in a family that wasn't Jewish at all. So that's that's true, you know, because of carrier screening and because of education in the Jewish community, it's very rare that you're going to have a Jewish couple that doesn't get tested in the United States. It really doesn't happen that often. So more babies are being born with Tay-Sachs that are not Jewish because their parents didn't know about it. So that's why, you know, education within the community is so important and it works. It really does work. Right. Can we talk about the cancer screening? Sure. So the cancer screening is really near and dear to my heart. Um, we just launched this past January, so it's only been about three months since we launched. Um, this launch came after a very long study that we started. Um, we did a pilot study in the Atlanta area where JScreen is based. Um, we're based out of Emory University. So we did a pilot study in the Atlanta Jewish community to see whether or not the community actually is ready for this or are they interested in learning about their cancer risks. Um, we also looked to see how common it was for people who are Jewish to have a BRCA mutation. Um, and we got a lot of really great data from that study, which I'm really proud of. Um, hopefully a manuscript will be coming out soon. Um, but overall from the study we learned, yes, we got to do this. People are ready for this. People want it. People want to know information about their health and their predispositions. Um, and therefore, we launched the Cancer Gen um, panel this past January. Um, like I said before, we're testing for over 60 different cancer predisposition genes. So it's not just BRCA. Um, we're testing for genes that um, predispose people to breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, colon cancer, um, you name it, basically melanoma, all different uh, brain cancers, any type of cancer. Um, we're testing for over 40 different cancer types within these 60 plus genes. Um, the test is good for males, it's good for females. Um, and if somebody is positive for any of these genes, they'll have a genetic counselor speak to them about what risks are associated with being positive for those genes. And we tell them what to do about it, what kind of medical management um, might make the most sense for them. Now, should this be for people who have a family history or does it not matter? It could be for anybody. Yeah. So a lot of people do have family histories. You know, those are the people who are interested in coming in the first place. You know, they see this and they say, oh, well, my mom had this and my aunt had that. I'm interested in getting tested. Um, but it's for anybody with or without a family history. They do not have to have Jewish ancestry to come through JScreen. They can live anywhere in the United States, just like our repro um, panel as well. Anywhere within the United States is good. Everything at JScreen is based by as a telegenetics model. So everybody's spitting from home and spitting into their tube and then getting their genetic counseling either over the phone or by Zoom. So we're you know, very convenient and um, accessible for people no matter where they are or what their past history is. Is there an age limit for this? That's a good question. So for the repro gen uh, panel, there is. Um, we only start testing at age 18. Mm -hmm. um, we believe that minors should not be tested unless there is a special reason, in which case we might be willing to make an exception. Usually we'll see that in the more um, Sephardi areas. So like a lot of Syrian girls get married a little bit younger than that. So in some cases we will make an exception, but we don't really like to test people over, uh, sorry, under age 18. Um, for the cancer panel, we don't love testing people under age 25. And the reason is because um, in case somebody does test positive for one of these genes, most cancer screening or risk reducing options won't apply until they're a little bit older. So here you have a 22 year old, you know, who's in a very interesting place in life, sitting on this information, knowing that they're positive and there's nothing they can really do about it at this age. 
So we don't love testing younger people for it, but if somebody has a compelling reason and we warn them about, you know, the limitations and the risks associated with being positive and they still want to go ahead with it, they can um, if they're under 25, but we, we don't advertise it really for, the, for people under that age. Right, because the question is, what are you going to do with the information? You keep emphasizing, and I want to make sure that point is clear, that genetic testing, one of the criteria that's so important is something you can do about it. Yeah. Knowledge, with, when you can't do anything about it, is just anxiety provoking. Yeah, I mean, you had asked before about the ReproGen panel, like how we decided which diseases to include mm -hmm. in our panel. So when we did our cancer gen panel, we had a very similar discussion. What are we going to include here? There are some labs that test for over 100 different cancer genes, and we didn't know if we were ready to do that. So we actually handpicked every one of those 63 genes, and we decided that we're only going to test people for genes that are what we call actionable, meaning mm -hmm. there's something you could do about it. So if there's a gene that tells you that you have this increased risk for brain cancer and there's nothing you could do about it, good luck. We don't really want to test people for that because what are they going to do with that? They're just going to be sitting with, you know, sitting on that and being anxiety ridden just waiting for cancer to happen. But if something is actionable, like for example, let's say they have a higher chance for breast cancer and they might consider doing increased cancer screening or they might even consider doing um, a risk-reducing mastectomy. That's just one example. There are many other examples. Then, you know, knowledge is power, you know, and with that information, they can do something about it and reduce their risks of getting those cancers or catching them at an early stage. So we're only testing for things that we, at least for now, you know, things could change. You know, science is pretty pretty quickly moving, but um, for, at least for now, these genes are, are all actionable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How much do these tests cost? So the, the ReproGen test is $149 and the Cancer Gen test is $199 um, if you give us your insurance information. We also have um, a combo kit deal um, where you can order both tests for $299. Um, the prices do go up if you decide for whatever reason not to give your insurance information. And you take all insurance? We take all insurance, yeah. So the way that our, our, yeah, the way that our fees work is we have this program fee, like I just mentioned, and we also take your insurance and we deal with the billing, we deal with your insurance. If it ends up costing more than whatever that program fee was or less than whatever that program fee is, we take care of it. Like we, we never make you responsible for it. So all the patient is responsible for is that program fee. And that includes the testing and the genetic counseling and processing. Because this is not for profit. I mean, people can understand this is not a big, advertisement for a for-profit company. This is yes. a not-for-profit company. Yes, yes. Profit can be extremely, extremely expensive. Yeah, it's, it's expensive. And by the way, we also have financial aid available for people who need it. Um, yeah, I mean, we're basically breaking even on this, but our mission is to prevent people from getting genetic diseases. So this mm -hmm. all falls within that. And um, we're really happy to and proud to serve the Jewish community. Why would someone not use their insurance? Uh, more, more I see for the cancer stuff because, and we can get into this as well, but people are scared of insurance discrimination. So let's say somebody gets tested and they find out that they're a BRCA carrier and they have this increased risk for breast cancer and increased risk for ovarian cancer and increased risk for pancreatic cancer. It is technically possible. There is no law stopping um, life insurance companies from discriminating against them because of this positive result. So technically, if somebody who's positive goes to apply for life insurance um, policy or by the way, a disability insurance insurance or long-term care insurance as well, the policy, um, the insurance companies have the right to deny them coverage 
or even to increase their premiums or basically say, oh, you're going to be, you know, you're going to die young or you're going to have a disability. We're going to charge you extra for that. They have no, we're not protected against that from happening, which is unfortunately a little bit scary. So some people don't want information getting into life insurance companies' hands because they're life scared that- Right, don't you mean medical insurance, not life insurance? No, I mean life insurance. Medical insurance is different. So uh, I'll get to medical insurance in a second, but they're scared of this information getting into the hands of these life insurance, disability insurance, and um, long-term care insurance companies. So they think like, I'll just, you know, play it safe and not give my insurance information. Some people even use different names because they're so scared of the you know information getting to the wrong place. Um, when it comes to health insurance, we actually do have protections. Um, there's a law called GINA, the Genetics Information Non-Discrimination Act. It was passed in 2008, so it's been a while. And the GINA law protects um, people from two things. It protects their health insurance companies from discriminating against them based on genetic results. And it also protects them in terms of employment. So for an example, um, an employer cannot fire somebody or hire somebody or promote somebody based on their genetic information. So when it comes to employment and health insurance, there are protections in place, but not for those other types of insurance. So people are scared, you know, and they, they don't want their information getting out there. Wait, so just hold on. Yes. If you're doing it through your medical insurance, how would the life insurance know? Um, I don't know. Or I think, if you I think people, honestly, I think people are scared. They're, they don't know how information is getting around and they just don't want things in their medical records and they don't want there any insurance companies knowing about anything. People are paranoid, I guess, in that okay. way. Um, just to be completely honest, you know, you may say to someone a risk of doing this is that this information may get out whether or not you do it through your insurance. I think that's it. Yes, we tell people that. Yeah, we always tell people before they do a cancer test that this is something that could happen. Very often we'll actually have people, usually our younger patients, they're going to say, you know what, this is not a good time for me then. Like, I'm not ready for this. I don't have my insurance in place. It's for people who are, who really do need to get tested because we really suspect there could be something going on. We'll push them to do the test, but we'll say maybe wait till you get your insurances in place and then get tested. Um, because if they don't have any genetic information, on you, then they can't discriminate against you, right? If you never got the test, they can't say anything. But once you have that information and you don't tell it to them when they ask for it, that's insurance fraud. You know, you, you have to give it to them. Um, so we always counsel our patients about the importance of doing this um, or getting this all in place before they get tested. Are there other downsides to genetic testing? That's a good question. Um, so number one, it's a family affair, right? Your genes run in your family. So I have seen certain cases where people found out information about themselves and then also their family because of that, that their family members weren't looking for, right? Even though you might think that knowledge is power, that doesn't mean that everybody thinks that. And some people don't want to know this information. So I've seen, seen some, you know, uncomfortable family dynamic situations when people did test positive. So that's one thing to consider. Um, Honestly, I have never in my 12 years of doing this, I have never had somebody test positive or high risk, whatever, in whatever field I'm doing, be upset that they did the test. It's not comfortable and it's not fun to get bad news, you know, but at the same time, it's empowering. And even though it's a lot to handle and it's a lot to swallow and very big decisions need to be made when people are considered high risk, ultimately my patients are happy that they did it, right? Because they think it's better to know than, than be surprised down the line and mm -hmm. not be prepared for it. So um, yeah, but also I see patients with a lot of anxiety because of it, you know, like now that they know they have this, every time they stub their toe, they say, oh my God, do I have cancer? You know, like it, it definitely could take a toll on people when they know they have this increased risk and they're not just like everybody else anymore. 
Right. But I mean, I think it's also a balance with how you deal with anxiety. I mean, someone who's prone to anxiety may find it anxiety provoking, but that may mean that they need to work on their anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why I think, by the way, that genetic, I mean, obviously I'm a big proponent of genetic counseling because I am a genetic counselor, but this is all of this stuff plays a very big role in people's decision to get tested. And that's why I'm not comfortable with people just, you know, sending in a spit kit through an online company, a commercial company, like they don't know any of this stuff beforehand. And they really should be, um, should have proper informed consent before they do any kind of genetic test because they need to know what they're getting themselves into before they decide to do this. Most people do go ahead with it and most of the time it's fine. You know, that's, that's important information to have. Most of the time it is good news, but you have to be prepared, you know, that it's not always good news and sometimes surprises happen. Um, and you're not always getting that with a lot of these genetic testing companies. And it's a, it's a little bit scary because you don't want them to say, oh, I didn't know. And it's by that point, it's too late. Right. And you already have the results. Right. So when you do genetic counseling through JScreen, what exactly does that entail? The, the counseling? Okay, so anytime somebody comes in um, with a new registration to JScreen, one of our genetic counselors, we have three full-time genetic counselors, one of them will review your registration and will ask you if you have any family history of anything, any personal history of anything, just to make sure that this is the appropriate test for you. We don't want to test somebody for something they've already been tested for, or they're looking for ancestry testing and we're not doing that. You know, we just want to make sure it's appropriate. Um, so that's the beginning of the process. And then once the results are in, one of our genetic counselors will review the results um, and we will either send the results by email if they're negative um, but if they're positive or there are some negatives who also stay in house like who also get genetic counseling for various reasons but we speak to you we tell you what your results mean either over the phone or by zoom um, and we sit down with you for half an hour or more if needed um, and we review what to do now now that you know that you're positive um, whether it's for reproductive or cancer it's going to be a different discussion whether you have an individual in a couple or you have a, a carrier couple for something that's going to be a different discussion it's very personalized based on the people that we're talking to um, and the diseases that we're talking about. So it's very, you know, one-on-one -on -one and very unique from one patient to the next. Is it by telehealth or by phone? Uh, we can either do phone or Zoom, whatever our patients want. So phone or video phone. Yeah. It's awesome. Is there a time limit for that? What, in terms of what, like how long? Yes, like say someone listens and they don't process it. Can they call back? Do of course, yeah. Once you're our patient, you're always our patient. Very often we'll have people come in once, let's say in January as a single person, and then they find somebody the next January and they want to test the partner. And then we speak to them a year later because now they're part of a couple. So every single day I have past patients, you know, asking me questions. We're, we're always there for our patients. So uh, we don't charge any extra for any secondary consultations or anything like that. Um, we're pretty generous with our with our counseling time and we're happy to help anybody who has any questions. This is so amazing. I am oh I am so grateful for you for doing this. Oh, I, I really like I'm so proud of JScreen and what we do. And I, I really am so happy to be part of such a great program. Like I only have good things to say, which is, I guess, really nice. And it's, I, I really do feel like we are a resource for the community. Um, by the way, aside from registering online for a kit, we also very often go to schools and Jewish centers and schools around the country. Um, so we not really so much now. Um, now we do more virtual events. But pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID, we'll be going back to schools. We have events with Hillel's, with Chabad's, um, you name it, any Jewish organization we go to. And very often we'll offer like discounts for people. Um, we were just at YU and Stern. Like we do this all the time and we go out and we give talks to people. So if anybody has, um, you know, a grand round or anything where they want us to talk, we're happy to come. Um, we basically test everyone and anyone who wants to get tested. And we, we love doing outreach as well in the community, um, within the medical community, within the rabbinic 
in a community, um, anyone who will listen to us, we're happy to, to go speak with them. This is amazing. I'm going to remind you again to give your contact information and also how to get information about the program, because I know there's a very comprehensive website. Yes, so our website is jscreen.org. Um, and my personal information, my name is SD Rose, and my email is esther.rose, E S T H E R, dot R O S E, at emory.edu, E M O R Y, dot edu. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you too. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.